Welcome to Music and Medicine. My name is Jacques Osmo, and music is my life. In this show, we will discuss the newest research on the intersection of music and medicine from scientific, musical, and historical perspectives. And most importantly, I hope that what you hear in this program will help you identify how to use music to make your own life healthier and happier. Today, our guest is Professor Nigel Osborne. Professor Osborne is a British composer, teacher, and aid worker. He served as Reed Professor of Music at the University of Edinburgh and has also taught at Hanover University of Music, Drama, and Media. Professor Osborne is known for his extensive charity work supporting war-traumatized children using music therapy techniques, especially in the Balkans during the Bosnian War in the 90s and the current Syrian conflict. Professor Osborne, it's a great pleasure having you with us today. It's a great privilege to be with you. Thank you. There are so many things that we could talk about today. Your compositions have been performed around the world by major orchestras and opera houses, and you have received numerous awards internationally. Today, however, let us focus on your work helping children, in particular, affected by trauma by using music and music therapy techniques. Can you tell us about your work in this area? Yes, yes. Well, it was, I started working um, with that in that particular way with trauma in Bosnia Herzegovina. I had for many years before been involved with music therapy, though I am not a mm -hmm. qualified music therapist. I started music therapy before accreditation, certification was possible. Um, mm -hmm. So I did it through uh, nursing. Uh, you had to have some medical engagement in order to have access to patients. And so I developed as a music, a music therapist in that way. I had a very good mentor, one of the old Viennese school of music therapists who'd wound up in Britain at the end of the 1930s. And um, and she, Lady Forsdyke was her name, she was one of my mentors. And so I had good help and later taught it in colleges. But I'm, I'm not certified, so I'm in a strange anomalous position. However, um, when I went to Bosnia during the war, and I went for simple human reasons, I had a lot of friends there, and I knew that the war was being lied about, and you know, it was not a, a civil war, it was not an ethnic war, and so on and so forth. There were no ancient ethnic hatreds. And I, as it got crueler and crueler, I decided as I knew the situation, I had an, an obligation to act. So I went to Sarajevo, first of all, for human rights, political reasons, to, in, in the very beginning of 93, uh, one of them was to recruit the then acting prime minister, Zlatko Lagunja, to come with us to Washington mm -hmm. to uh, lobby the US government, which we did and did successfully. And another was to contact um, my friend's artists in Sarajevo who were making their own wonderful resistance to the war, maybe the most effective resistance. I went to, to accept an invitation to go and play with Vedran Smilovic, um, the cellist of Sarajevo, uh, mm -hmm. and all sorts of things. like So that's what I went for. But I, I went for largely human rights reasons. But then saw that there were, on my ensuing visits, that there, there was another job to be done, that the children were in a, a bad position. There was no school. Um, there was very little food or water, difficult to get. There were shells landing at random everywhere. Children were being subjected to terrible things, seeing terrible things. And so what could we do to help them? 
and I was talking to my artist friends, and I said, is, is this some, is this kind of an art thing that we could do for the children in this terrible situation? If only just to distract them from the horror. You know, we didn't have any therapeutic goals. And they said, yes, we've been thinking about that, but look at us, we're walking skeletons. How are we going to do it? And so we worked a plan to work together, worked out a plan. And so we started a program with children, uh, just mostly music-led, creative music, writing songs, playing things. And I would then travel to Bosnia with a rucksack full of little percussion instruments hmm. uh, that we could work with with the children. Of course, there were instruments in Sarajevo, but many had been, of course, broken up. Firewood. I mean, there were all sorts of things that were going on then that made it difficult to get hold of things. So I'd take these small instruments in. And this became strangely successful. And we were, at one point, a representative from what was left of the Ministry of Health, said, can we come and have a look at your project? I said, of course you can. Uh, and they came and, and, and um, then I got this rather nice report saying, look, we really like this project. It's a really good therapeutic project for the children. They used that word. I didn't. Mm-hmm. They, but once they'd used it, I felt I had permission to use it. You know, when local people have said, this is therapeutic, then I can use that word. So we developed a therapeutic program. Uh, in Bosnia, which was able then to spread because I was able to work with the charity War Child. We built the Pavarotti Center in Mostar, mm-hmm. which where we were able to make a real music therapy department. And I was able to expand the program to very different parts of Bosnia. By, uh, you know, very soon after that, we were working with 3,000 children a week in the Neretva Canton, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were, we were able to scale. And, and later on, I was able to get into other parts of Bosnia, and um, and so later on had projects in Trebinje, Ljubljana, uh, Srebrenica, places like that, and um, which was good. So we, we, we were able to, to work as I wanted to with the whole of Bosnia, because the, the Bosnia I'd fallen in love with was one country.
We've just heard Moi Dilbere, a beautiful example of Sevdalinka, also known as Sevdah music, a traditional genre of folk music from Bosnia and Herzegovina, performed by Amira Medudinin. My darling, the song says, where are you going? Why don't you take me there too? Today we are speaking with Professor Nigel Osborne. Professor Osborne is a British composer, teacher, and aid worker, known for his extensive charity work supporting war-traumatized children using music and music therapy techniques. So anyway, what happened was that I discovered, well, I didn't, I didn't discover, the children led us into a situation where we began to see real changes happening, particularly in the symptoms of trauma, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that children were psychologically in a better state. And also physiologically, and we were to learn later why that was. We, there was a lot of science behind this. But it was really, if you ask the question, how did I get going with music therapy in conflict zones? And then mm-hmm. it was Bosnia that did it. And I learned it from the children of Bosnia. I, whatever I've achieved, I owe to them. They were fantastic leaders that were in their brilliance, their imagination. And you know the Bosnians, their wit. They were able... <laughs> you know, to, 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 to lead this process. And uh, so it's, it is to them, if this, this has now become a worldwide movement, uh, but it owes its existence, the children of Sarajevo initially, and then the whole of Bosnia. So that's where uh, it began. So which year did this start? Yes, I, I've been working politically for Bosnia since the beginning of the war, realizing okay. what a tragedy it was. But I didn't actually manage to get there until the end of 1992, beginning of 1993. Mm-hmm. And so it was at that point that I really, you know, on that first visit, I realized that I wanted to do this. And it took a couple of visits later. I used to go through the tunnel to Interstadio. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have international support. And, um, and so a few visits later, it got to the point where we started the program in Sarajevo. So I guess actually it took me until probably 1994 to get program properly, 1993-94, and indeed probably one of the most, the biggest manifestations in Sarajevo of the program in 1994 was our opera Evropa, which uh, we did with the children, uh, with uh, libretto by Goran Simic, and um, and that was um, directed by Dino Mustafic. That was a great experience, and we were lucky it was in a ceasefire, so we were able to do it in the National Um, Theatre. And it's a story of, of, it's, it's actually a message from Sarajevo to Europe saying, uh, listen, you know, it's a ship on stage and it's the ship of Europe and the captain is Miss Europe, who has been crowned Miss Europe, and mm-hmm. her crown falling over her eyes and, uh, and and the ship is being, you know, wrecked by rats in the cellars eating the food and it's, it, is, it is a metaphor for what was happening in, in Bosnia and uh, that was maybe one of the culminations of the work in, in Sarajevo. It was 95 actually, Europa, and then it was after that that we moved, we were able to expand the project to places, first to Mostar, mm-hmm. Mostar in 95 uh, and we succeeded in building the opening the centre in 1997, the Pagetti Centre. Needless to say, this resonates very much with me, having been a refugee from Bosnia. And what I do remember is that even when the war exploded along the ethnic lines, people still continued listening to each other's music, regardless of who the singer was, regardless of whose musical tradition that was. Music seemed to be exempt 
from the hostilities for a really long time. And of course, you know, after a while, these animosities start seeping into who does somebody listen to or not. But I, what I do distinctly remember is this resistance of bringing music into these hostilities and, and clinging onto it as this symbol of normalcy for as long as it was possible. Yes, it certainly was. And I think that obviously there were, there were points of tension. People tried to politicize of music, course. but they failed. So, for example, the attempt to politicize Sevda, mm-hmm. Sevdaning, failed completely. It, it, everybody still listened to it. Yes, and, of and course. Got, well, because it is the music of the common life. I mean, Sevda is a music that in itself encodes the traditions of Bosnia. There are influences from the Adriatic, mm-hmm. in the Adriatic influences from Hungary, there are influences, of course, from Ottoman influences from Turkey, the Makams, and there are influences from the Jewish community, Ladino and Sephardic influences, all mixed together. So in a sense, the music spoke the truth of Bosnia. But there's more to the story. So for example, I think that art became a kind of resistance. You had on the one side barbarity, the people with guns and murderers, capable, it seems, of anything. And and on the other side, you had the art as resistance. And I do think that my dear friend Vedran Smilovic is a very good example of that. His playing, you know, in his playing in the places where bombs had killed people and destroyed, was a kind of healing for the city and was an incredible resistance. And you know, and the way that man survived is extraordinary. And one of the reasons he survived was, of course, that snipers on the hills didn't kill him. He was too powerful for that and too important for that. Just to clarify for our listeners, Vedran Smilovic, known as the cellist of Sarajevo, caught the imagination of people around the world by playing his cello, most notably performing Albinoni Sadaji in G minor, for 22 days in the ruined square of a downtown Sarajevo marketplace after a mortar round had killed 22 people waiting for food there. So, but what I'm trying to say is it's big because it is to do, it's, a, it's an important thing, it's to do with the power of art over brutality and love over hatred and community over fractiousness. And now, my beloved, where are you going? Adagio for Vedran Smilovic, composed by our guest today, Professor Nigel Osborne. Performed by Nigel Osborne vocals, Rory Osborne guitar and Hebrides ensemble. Suffocated 
in car exhaust fumes. Today we are speaking with Professor Nigel Osborne. Professor Osborne is a British composer, teacher and aid worker known for his extensive charity work supporting war-traumatized children using music and music therapy techniques. Uh, so music had that role in art in, in, in Sarajevo 
joining the war. It had a tremendous binding effect on people. People were proud of it. And I have to say I feel so lucky to have been part of that environment because for an artist it was an extremely powerful experience. I, I, I would have, of course, I don't want the war. I'd rather not have that experience at one level. But if the war had to be, I am lucky to have had the experience. And some of the art that came out of it, I think the world has yet to appreciate. And if you look at you know, some of the, you know, what somebody like Mustafa Skopiak did, you know, taking shards of broken glass um, from buildings and making the most beautiful sculptures from them, mm-hmm. inverting vitality and turning it to beauty, a kind of very, very important human alchemy. The same with people like Edunoman Kadic, Zoran Brutanovic, uh, people of this kind, I mean, absolutely, Ante Juric, uh, uh, a whole bunch of uh, wonderful artists who, who who subverted conflict and 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 protected. I believe that Sarajevo in part survived because of art. There wasn't enough food. Mm-hmm. What was it that kept? Well, I think a big part of it was art. So when we talk about music and conflict, there's something very powerful to say, and also after conflict, something powerful because you can never reconcile people. People reconcile themselves. And, of course, in Bosnia, the irony is there was very little reconciliation to have to do because no Bosnian thought, I hate all Croats, I hate all Serbs, I hate all Catholics. No, um, they will have a, a resistance against individuals and maybe of their own religion as well who misbehave themselves. So reconciliation wasn't as the international community imagined. However, in a place like Bosnia, music is a wonderful place to get together. Mm-hmm. I remember um, uh, we... Um, it, after the war, we ran something called the Experimental Schools Project in Sarajevo, going through schools in the divided city, but joining together in a project. And we bring the parents together. And the atmosphere of those musical events was wonderful. You know, Sarajevo meeting itself again. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, there was nothing but friendship. Everybody was glad to see their former neighbors hanging out together. And music is a safe place to be. Music, you can play music with somebody and you have the, the discipline of music. Mm-hmm. The beauty of music, it's emotional processing and the discipline all working with you at that moment. And so music is not, it's not a place, it doesn't reconcile people. It gives people a place to reconcile, a safe, peaceful place to reconcile. So it has many roles to play music in, in dealing with the problems of conflict. And he has been doing that for thousands of years. In times of crisis, supporting community cohesion, giving hope. Can you tell us a little bit about the methods and techniques that you have developed supporting the children there? Yes. First of all, it's very creative and it's very hands-on and it is collaborative. We're usually working with the children, getting them to play, sing and create. And so it's a, it is a creative workshop, hands-on methodology in which we try to encourage the children to express themselves, their emotions, their feelings, their knowledge in the mm-hmm. music, and genuinely, not our intervention. We try to make the space for the children to express themselves fully. Then there's a whole lot of other considerations uh, that affect the way we work. It was interesting that um, in the work in Bosnia, I realized that we were having some very powerful effects. I mean, you know, everybody said so, and parents reported their children seeming much better, and I could see the children responding powerfully. 
And I've seen that response in other places, not just later than that. Um, it's it's a, f a common phenomenon. Children in conflict have a very powerful relationship to music and art, usually, because it's what they need. And I felt it was my duty to try and find out what this was. Fortunately, I had a little bit of a background in neurology and various elements of medicine. And and so it was it, it was a very nice coincidence that at the time I was asking these questions, the answers were coming up in the literature. Mm -hmm. And I am answering your question. <laughs> I just I'd take a little time to get there. Uh, and we discovered some very important things. Uh, so, for example, in trauma, children's heart rate, and any, in fact, traumatized individuals on the whole, average heart rate is raised by about five, six beats a minute. And that's a lot in heart rate terms. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference. Heart's a very stabilizing thing because it gets faster and slower, but its averages are very stable, and this is very unstable. And we discovered that you know that music, there's very good literature on the fact that music can help regulate the behavior of the heart. It can help speed it up, slow it down, and that it also is very interactive with the systems that control the heart. So, for example, the autonomic nervous system is very interactive with music. Music easily arouses us, relaxes us, and so has a direct and powerful influence on the heart. There's no doubt about that. Then, something as simple as breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, children with trauma often have some difficulties with breathing. It's often a little hesitant. and uh, I, I'm not making fun of it. I'm trying to explain the phenomenon. It's to do with the vagal nerve and how that reacts to stress. And music's a wonderful way of helping breathing. You know, when we're sitting here talking, we're maybe using 15% of our lungs. If we're working hard physically, maybe 60%. There's only one activity where we use 100% of our lungs. It's singing full on. Mm -hmm. Oboe playing gets near. Uh, In other words, uh, we have in singing this powerful tool of interaction with the lungs, but not just that. Music is in unconscious relationship with the oldest part of the brain, medulla oblongata, where there are neurons that, that are controlling breathing. And in fact, through that system, music can control breathing. It can regulate it. Irregular breathing can be made more regular. And that's unconsciously. Consciously, we can influence it through conscious manipulation of breath. Mm -hmm. So, example, with the children in Mostar, none of whom could breathe well. They'd all been locked in cellars in dreadful conditions, quite apart from the trauma. And so we would do. One week, we would learn a song, which you all know. Tashun, tashun, tanana, palamachka stavana, ogribala hasana. And then the next week, tashun, tashun, tanana, palamachka stavana, ogribala hasana. And you know what the next week is. We, we, we are joining in a single breath. Uh, and singing is a wonderful mechanism of getting breathing back. Um, so breathing. Then movements, uh, traumatized children tend to have t extreme movements, either very sluggish or hyperactive. And uh, often at those extremes, you know, very, the, the psychiatrist Oliver Zacks used to portray it as, as just the head down and arms folded, or you know, leaning back on the chair, running around, destroying things. There are those common things. And we find that with music, we can catch the children. If they're hyperactive, we can do kick-ass West African drumming. <laughs> we can catch them and hold them and offer them the chance to slow down. 
If they are completely sluggish, we can go with the gentlest, softest music and sounds that you you choose, and we can bring them from that position to activity. So with movement, music is very interactive with the motor cortex, mm -hmm. and we're able to help children regain control of movement. I mean, finally, and very important, is the chemistry of the body. When people are traumatized, levels of cortisol and other hormones go sky high. Mm -hmm. But then there's a paradox. They then go too low because there is an effect on the control system, the hippocampus, whereby an excess of this action can, in the end, reduce the flow of cortisol uh, and corticotropin chemistry. And so um, uh, then that becomes another problem. And to understand trauma in children, you have to understand that the body is on high alert through the autonomic system, but the body's chemistry is incapable of supporting it. It's okay. stuck, and you're stuck in the middle. Um, anyway, music can, is very interactive with cortisol, the HPA axis, and can help to free it. So um, that's, just the, that's just the physical stuff. I haven't even talked about communication, trust, creativity, mm -hmm. self-belief, the psychological, social things. But just at the physiological level, there's a mass of things we can do. And if you're coming back to methodology, then we work in ways to allow those things to act. So we take children on emotional journeys in music, mm -hmm. with beginnings and ends, them to release the system. Uh, and we take them on interesting music, dance, movement, physical journeys. So, so, so the methodology is designed to allow music to its best effect to help the children. And, uh, and of course, there are different areas in uh, methodology too. When in Mostar, we were able for a time to run a music therapy department. Mm -hmm. And there we were take individual children, small groups. Most of our uh, work I did in the, in the schools and who said that was, was with larger groups. Uh, but for, when, in actual music, clinical music therapy, we were able to take individuals and smaller groups. Well, and there again, there's a lot that can be achieved in that way, one-to-one. For children who have been badly traumatized can be helped. So, um, so our methodology, the group methodology, is very much based on these psychological, biological, and social effects that I've mm -hmm. described. And then that goes right the way through to a, a music therapy method, which is very interactive, very psychodynamic. And now we are going to hear Kadia Podroch na Bembashu, another beautiful Bosnian Sevdalinka performed by Amira Medunjanin. Yeah, 
today we are speaking with Professor Nigel Osborne. Professor Osborne is a British composer, teacher, and aid worker known for his extensive charity work supporting war-traumatized children using music and music therapy techniques. That is remarkable. I'm curious, the groups of children that you work with, were they multi-ethnic groups of children? Because inevitably, those children would be traumatized by, they would have different triggers. Yes, of the trauma. Right. Yes, we had to be well. Certainly, in in in, in the case of Bosnia, it was uh, not such a problem because it is one country, mm-hmm. one culture, and so that wasn't too big a problem. It became a problem only when uh, you know when the country got divided. Well, that's what I that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, in the Sarajevo experimental schools, we had to navigate very carefully. We were able to. I was having kids singing in all the dialects, of mm-hmm. and everybody was fine and loved it. Uh, with children from different, uh, you know, areas, also no problem. Um, I can remember on one occasion inviting a group from Banja Luka, just at the very end of the war, and a, a wonderful choir called Vrapčići, uh, to come and sing in 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 Mostar. And uh, and of course, this was you know contentious a little bit about this time. Mm-hmm. You know, Mostar was still being shelled from east as well as from the west. But anyway, this was, this was contentious. But I remember asking one of the most, I think, probably nationalistic Bosniak people in in Mostar. There weren't many of them, but one who was one of the head teachers. He used to wear his green beret. And I said, "Look, I want to bring some kids from." Uh, Panya Luca, what do you think? I was expecting him to explode. The children sure. are not guilty, of course. Yeah. Bring them. Um, and, and on that basis, we didn't have problems. And the children themselves just glad to see one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's fine. And one can overcome these things. Uh, I also remember for a brief time I was involved in Israel, Palestine with the Middle East Children's Association. Mm-hmm. And that all at that time, it was an alliance of Israeli-Palestinian teachers mm-hmm. to try and make the world a better place. And it was wonderful. And uh, and one of the most important things was teaching Hebrew songs to our children, Muslim children, okay. and uh, songs to, to the Israeli kids. And they loved it. And, and at a time, and it was in a quieter time, it was before the Second Intifada. It was, you know, mm-hmm. But in a, in a quieter I mean, the children loved it. And we were very careful with the repertoire. You know, we, we were nothing nationalistic. So, you know, one of the favourite songs of young Arab kids was and 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 the and, and the Israeli kids loved Ayazin, 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 which is actually a celebration of a imam, but but it wasn't political, so it was okay. So what I'm trying to say is that there was a natural sharing, and in music there again. I think that we are prepared to forgive and forget and, and enjoy what we can of one another and understand one another again. So my, my very long answer to, to a very important question, in other words, do, is it difficult working with kids together who are perhaps from opposing sides of a conflict? Mm-hmm. Well, do you find the things that, that people identify with? It's the common human condition that ultimately resonates that it's there in music. It is there in music of every culture. Yes. It's the only possible condition. We have no other condition. Mm-hmm. Common life is the only way. Uh, yeah, I've just finished a piece where the last words are, the common life is the only way to live. 
uh, it's a piece I wrote about in one of my projects in, in Syria, Lebanon. But no, it, it, it is the only way to live. There is no other way. Of course, it's, and it was not just Bosnia. I mean, Syria had a great common um, Lebanon. Uh, the, these are the, and these are being destroyed by the minute. That this is something we have to be very careful of. One, one of my reasons, for many reasons, to try to defend Bosnia was knowing how valuable that was for human beings, the quality of living together and peace and creativity. Not sentimental. This is not sentimental. It's as hard as nails, what I'm saying. This is tough stuff. It is the tough, good stuff of being human. And it's tough and it's hard and it's indestructible. As you can see in, you know, in Bosnia, in spite of everything, they didn't destroy that spirit. It's still there. Politically not, but in the people it's there, absolutely. And, uh, and I'm hoping they have not destroyed it finally in Syria. But at the moment, there's a, the, the political level, there's a lot of destruction of common life taking place. And the world can't afford that luxury. It really is something that's got to stop. And good people have to stand up and say, no, we live together in peace and respect. It's very simple and it always works. Why don't you just do it? Remember me 
sun in his jealous sky when we walked in fields of gold when we walked in fields of gold when we walked in fields of We've just heard Fields of Gold by Sting. Sting has been a part of a number of initiatives in the United Kingdom throughout the pandemic aimed at supporting mental health and organized by Professor Osborne and his colleagues. Today we are speaking with Professor Nigel Osborne. Professor Osborne is a British composer, teacher and aid worker known for his extensive charity work supporting war-traumatized children using music and music therapy techniques. So which other places did you take this method to? Step by step. So in fact, the first place it went after Bosnia was Kosovo. Okay. And that was, they were in a a different situation from Bosnia in that Kosovo did have a more divided population, sadly. I mean, divided in the sense by language. Mm -hmm. Although most Albanian Kosovo spoke good Serbian. But nevertheless, there, there was something more divided. We went there, and that was also we were we were successful. Obviously, in that case, our duties were mainly towards the Albanian children because they were the ones that had been dispossessed mm-hmm. of the Albanian Kosovars and made refugees. But others too, quite a few Bosnians, by the example, were also stuck because they were discriminated against by everybody, and because they spoke a language that sounded like Serbian, they were even That's right. the Albanians were discriminated mm-hmm. against and, uh, and so we worked with them, uh, and also other communities, uh, like, for example, Albanian Catholic communities we worked with, where, where people were vulnerable. And, uh, and also with, with the small, very small now, Kosovo community, uh, Mitrovica, mm-hmm. places like that, um, so, so um, that was the next place. And then Georgia. Okay. And that was because of, I had a, one of my former students, um, who was Georgian, Marina Adamia, was asked us to go and help her develop projects. Mm-hmm. So we were working with refugees in the, the west of Georgia, western Georgia, Abkhazia in particular. And not just those refugees who have been driven out of Abkhazia, but also uh, street children in, in places like, Tbilisi because of from the Ossetian War there were a lot of, of dispossessed children and so that that was the next place that we developed and then um, Middle East as, and already obviously I've been mm-hmm. active in Israel Palestine anyway but we developed things East Africa Uganda India and then most recently back in the Middle East Lebanon Syria and I'm hoping that we'll be starting in Yemen and Somalia soon. That is remarkable. So you had a lot of opportunities to observe the way music can be used to support children and people with trauma in general across cultures. It's multicultural approach. And I read about your interest in new music technologies in which, from our conversation, I understand that you brought in all, all of these experiences. In yeah. particular, the X system, collaboration with Paul Robertson. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That sounds absolutely yes. fascinating. Yes. Well, Paul Robertson and I, Paul Robertson sadly passed away some years ago, but he was leader of the Medici String Quartet, very good friend of mine. And we were colleagues 
because we tried to be pioneers of music medicine. We realized and thought, you know, this is not just music therapy, which you know about, but music medicine. Mm -hmm. And the distinction is in music therapy, there is a mediation, there's a person, a therapist. Whereas in music medicine, sometimes the music itself does the job if you put it in place properly. So Paul and I were trying to get people to take music medicine seriously. And at the beginning, we got a lot of skepticism. And then it got better and better. And as the research came in, this new wave of research from fMRI, from, uh, other measures, but particularly that, that the medical profession started taking seriously. Mm -hmm. There was a big cut. I think there'd been a gap of about 400 years in music medicine, you know, simply because the, on the age of reason failed to find the measures mm -hmm. it required that music could have an effect on human beings. And then at the end of the 20th century, it found those measures. And so, and saw that it was indeed, music was affecting people very significantly. And so Paul and I had the pleasure of, of seeing, of stopping being voices in the wilderness. In fact, having the opposite problem, uh, trying to stop people getting too enthusiastic too quickly, <laughs> so that they didn't burn itself out, you know, with too many expectations. We wanted to slow it down. Uh, okay, let's take this step by step. Anyway, um, we worked together on various projects, and we'd reviewed, uh, we'd been asked to do due diligence for Sony Europe on the first streaming system called Walk uh, Streamman okay. of Sony. That was the first music streaming system before any of these other uh, systems arrived. Mm -hmm. That was the first one. And we were asked to do due diligence on it, and we, in fact, gave thumbs up to the system, but we realized that actually this new technology could be very important for us. Not just streaming things that people liked, but maybe streaming things that might help people get better. And we knew that we had the opportunity to do that. And so we designed X system with some engineers. I'm not a great tech person. And what it is, is a model of the musical brain. It models all the principal areas of the brain that affect, as it were, affected by music that then affect our bodies and mind. And, and so there's this series of models. We put the music in and it produces, as it were, a prediction of how arousing the piece will be, what it will do to your heart rate, how pleasing it will be, what emotions it might evoke. And we've just managed to get that fairly accurate. And it's a mixture of models and of neural nets and regressions. Okay. Um, because one of the, the mistakes that's been made by many of the systems, I mean, everybody's been trying to do this and not succeeding. And one of the reasons is a kind of romantic belief in big data and regressions and signal processing. Mm -hmm. Everybody's imagined that if you can use conventional signal processing and if you get enough data and regress it, it will tell you, you know, what music affects what in the body. And the problems are is that the existing repertoire or signal processing is not powerful enough. And secondly, is the the big data regression thing is building sandcastles in the Sahara. And actually what you need to do is to identify a sand pit and build your castle there and make sure it's well built, then it will work. And so, so we've been able to create probably the world's only system of that, that can reliably predict the emotional or physiological effects of music by a mixture of big data and regressions and modeling. You know, we, and the models are based on the latest neurology, and we update it with the, with, with the latest neurology. Nobody knows the neural circuitry of Hachal's gyrus, which is the place, the, the auditory cortex. But we know what goes in, and we know what comes out, mm -hmm. and roughly, and we know how it's organized laterally in the brain. And so 
we can begin to model those functions. That is incredible. So the system is in use now? Yes, yes. It's, I mean, I've been using it in the National Health Service. I mean, we, we produce for the National Health Service the most successful part of their recovery college online platform. We're having the most exciting development, Simon, process of a, of a research program, which I'll be talking to the team tonight, actually in Croatia, by coincidence, but led from the United States, initiators in Columbia Medical mm -hmm. Center, and then from Queen Square, the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in London. But we're actually doing it in Croatia because of the conditions. And what we're doing is we think we can stop seizures in epileptic children with music. And um, we're using access. And what we're doing is we're looking at, we're taking EEG of um, you know, brainwave mm -hmm. electrical measurements of children with epilepsy, and we're trying to identify from that what is the most what are the most stable frequencies, what are the most healthy stable frequencies, and we're then using X system to find music that corresponds to those sequences, okay. emphasizes and rhythmic and other attributes. There are all sorts of things, and we and we also relate to breathing, heart rate, and and to electrical activity, in the hope that we can then stabilize the brain so that it doesn't generate seizures or what we call IEDs, which are interictal leptiform discharges, which are actually spikes that happen in between seizures. We want to eliminate those as well. And we think, we have evidence, that if we can stabilize the brain enough with music, it won't produce a spike. This is absolutely fascinating. And lastly, do you have any parting words for our listeners? As we are emerging from the pandemic... Yes, I, my parting words this is are to say that creative arts have an important role to play in what comes next. Society needs healing. There's a massive problems of mental health. And that one of the best ways of addressing those is through the creative arts. Human beings made the creative arts in order to help themselves in the past to deal with the strange thing of being a human being, our consciousness, our emotions, our motivations, our relationships. Art is the only place we can actually deal with them. So uh, I would say let's deal with our problems with lots of creative art. And what a pleasure to talk to you, Jacques. It's really nice. Professor Osborne, thank you so very much. It was a privilege having you with us today. And so we come to the end of today's program. Today, our guest was Professor Nigel Osborne. Professor Osborne is a British composer, teacher, and aid worker. He's known for his extensive charity work supporting war-traumatized children using music therapy techniques, especially in the Balkans during the Bosnian War in the 90s and the current Syrian conflict. Until next time, stay healthy and happy, and keep listening.